Heavenly Father, it's your word we want to understand here this morning. It's your words we want to hear in our heart. We pray that you will reveal yourself in your word and reveal yourself in us as we open it, as we look at it, help us to understand it and to apply it in our lives and to be changed by it. Lord, help us to see more of you, to understand more of who you are and to obey you and to embrace you fully. Lord, we ask your blessing on this time, but may you be fully blessed through all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 1949, there was a man by the name of John Currier, and he was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Now, after serving his sentence for several years, they decided to kind of commute or parole his sentence into something very different, um, not unusual in those days. He was given a new kind of sentence to fulfill working on a farm in Nashville, Tennessee. So he did that for many years, serving out the latter part of his sentence by working on a farm. Well, in 1968, John Currier's sentence was terminated, and a letter with all that good news in it was sent to him, but John never saw the letter, and he was never told anything about it. And life on that farm was actually very, very hard, and there wasn't much promise for the future, but John Currier kept working hard on that farm because that was part of his sentence. And you know, he kept working even after the farmer he worked for died because he knew that he was required to. A whole 10 years went by. And then a state parole officer heard about Courier. And he went out and he found John and he told him that his sentence had been terminated and he was a free man. Could you imagine working 10 years beyond your sentence because nobody told you it was done? Now, imagine if someone sent you an important message, the most important message of your life, and year after year, that message was never delivered. You see, Christians have been entrusted with the most important message in the world. But what good is a message if we don't deliver it. Delivering that message is vital to people who have a sentence of death. But the message of the gospel is a, is a, a message of freedom and life. This is what we're talking about today. We're, we're talking about sharing our faith and just how important that is and some perspectives on sharing faith today, on witnessing for Christ. Our series is on core values, all those things that you value the most. These are the beliefs that drive you to do what you do and to be who you are. Let me ask you, what are your most important values? Do you know what they are? It's a good exercise as we're going through this week after week for you to maybe sit down on a Sunday afternoon after lunch and write some of them down. Get, get a good sense. What are my core values? What are the things that I believe that are the most important things? What 
What drives me? As a church, we've done that over the years. Uh, we sat down several years ago and we uh, came up with a list of 10 core values, specific things that we believe to be core values in the church. And one of those is what we're going to be talking about today. If number six on our list is witnessing to the world. And here's what we say about that. We value an active and loving witness for Christ to all people. You know, sharing Christ is really at the heart of our church. We long to see others experience the love and the grace of God. Do you value Jesus in your life? Do you? Do you want to have other people experience what you're experiencing? See, this is what we're talking about. This is at the core of that. Our call to be witnesses for Jesus is not just a call for missionaries in foreign lands. It's a call to each of us to bear witness for Christ right here in our own neighborhoods. So what does it mean to witness? What is a witness? Well, let's say you're driving down the road, you're on your way to Walmart, or men, you're on your way over to Harbor Freight, and, and as you're driving down the road, you see there's an accident going on, and, and uh, actually, you witness a hit and run. You see that guy drive away after he hits the car, and, and so then you tell the police about it, and, and, and they give you a summons to appear in court to be a witness in the case against the driver. Well, what is it you're being called to do? <clears throat> you aren't being called to judge the case. And you aren't being called to argue the merits of the case. You're going to court to tell what you saw, what you witnessed, what your experience was on that day. So when we talk about being a witness for Jesus or witnessing for the gospel, what we're essentially being asked to do is we're being asked to tell others about our experience with Jesus, what we've seen, what we've personally experienced in Christ. You know, there's so much we could say about this subject this morning, but, but today I want to narrow the focus down and look at three scriptures, and, and they'll take us to three different aspects of being a witness for Jesus. Our guides this morning are the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1-8, and the exhortation to be prepared to share in 1 Peter 3.15. Or to put it very simply, the command to go and share, the power to share, and preparing to share. Most of us know the Great Commission, don't we? In fact, a lot of you have it memorized. You know it by heart. Um, after his resurrection from the dead, Jesus gathered his disciples on a mountain somewhere in Galilee. He doesn't tell us exactly which one, but they're up on a mountain in Galilee. And he gave them this charge. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the heart of the Christian witness, 
Jesus commands his disciples, and by extension, all of us, to go and make some disciples of all nations. Now, I don't know if you know that Mark also had a version of this, and, and if you look at Mark's version, it's a whole lot shorter. In Mark 16, 5, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. To all creation. This is a call to action. It's a call to spread a message, the message of salvation to every corner of the earth. It's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. The news that you aren't trapped in sin. You can be redeemed through faith in Jesus. The good news offers us a lot. It offers us hope. It offers us eternal life. It says to all believers, no, this isn't all there is. There's more. There's a time of life forever with Jesus. There's a new heaven and a new earth recreated. And this is great news for us, isn't it? I mean, this is the church can rejoice. But the message isn't just for a select number of people in God's church. This message is for everybody. There are three key takeaways that we get from the Great Commission. Three things that we're supposed to do or places we're supposed to go and things that we're supposed to share. These three things, we're to make disciples, we're to baptize, and we're to teach. Now, I think a lot of Christians... And, you know, I counted myself among this uh, group for many years, especially in evangelical circles. Um, we think that the whole focus of outreach or evangelism is to get people to, to say the sinner's prayer. Let's just get them so that, you know, if we can get them in a, in a room and we can, you know, get them to say this words, these, you know, whatever there are, I don't know how many words in the sinner's prayer, 50 words, something like that. If we can get them to say these 50 words, then we've fulfilled the Great Commission. Doesn't say anything like that here, does it? Doesn't say that in Matthew 28. Doesn't say that in Mark The sinner's prayer is a very helpful tool, but it's only the beginning. It's just the start. Several years ago, uh, I worked as an altar counselor at a Billy Graham crusade in Buffalo, New York. And uh, we were taught, you know, how, how to do what we do, because, you know, you go down on that field. We were at Pilot Field, what was then Pilot Field, and, and um, you, you go down on that field, and... What an experience. As we were being trained, we went down onto the field and stood there and looked up into the stands, which were empty at that time. And, and what they taught us was one of the most important things we want you to do is we want you to get them to fill out an altar card if they come forward to pray to receive Jesus. Now, why were we getting those cards filled? What was the important part of that? Well, it was to count scalps. You know, how many heads did we get tonight? How many people did we get to pray? You know, is that what the reason was? That wasn't the reason at all. Those cards were key because those cards took you from the prayer to discipleship. Those cards were to connect you with a local church where you could learn to grow and become 
a disciple of Jesus. And I've been on the receiving end of those too after a crusade where I've received those cards and we've followed up by contacting those people and sitting down and talking to them about what it really is to live a life of following Jesus. There's a very good reason that Billy Graham never baptized anybody. I've read some really bizarre things in the last few days. One of them I read, you know, was this great criticism because Billy Graham never baptized anybody. That meant he was only giving part of the gospel. There was a good reason that he didn't do that. He felt that baptism belonged in the purview of the church. And so he felt that it was his job to bring them to Jesus and steer them into the church where they would be nurtured and where they would grow. And, and you know, from the very end of the first century and, and forward, baptism has always been done in the church or through the church. It was a sign that a person was really serious about following Jesus. Yeah, I've taken this first step. I've made this first commitment. But, but what am I going to do with this? Well, I'm really serious about this. And baptism is standing up and publicly saying, Yes, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to become part of the body of Christ. I have decided to become the hands and the feet of Jesus, to be part of more than just somebody who sits in a pew. I've decided to be the body. When we did baptism at Renfrew a few weeks ago, that was a great time. We, we followed, you, know, you notice we, we followed our tradition to do our baptisms. And our tradition uh, in the Brethren in Christ Church, we baptize from a kneeling position. And we do that uh, out of a symbol of humility before God. We humble ourselves before God. That's, that's the reason that we did that. And we immerse three times forward. You know, when you get dunked in our church, you really get dunked. You know, we want to make sure that you're really wet. Well, we do that following a very literal interpretation of Scripture. We baptize in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've done it that way for about 250 years. And uh, it, it's a cool tradition. When we started, you know, and, and a lot of people don't know why we do that. When we started about 250 years ago, there were a lot of groups here in Pennsylvania and across the United States and in Canada who did not believe in the Trinity of God. There were a lot of people who were baptizing, like some Unitarians, just baptizing in the name of God. And there were people who baptized the Jesus-only movement, and they just baptized in Jesus' name. And there were a bunch of people called modalists, and they believed that God the Father became God the Son and then became the Holy Spirit. You know, that he just was one God changed forms. But we believe in three persons in God. And so when we did baptism... We were making a very public declaration that, that we believed in the Trinity of God. It was a theological statement. And so, you know, if you wonder why we do it, that, that's where that came from. That's part of the history of where that came from. Now, immediately after we baptized uh, Abby and Addie, um, Pastor Andy from Experience Life came, and he baptized, baptized his son, and, and he did it. In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one time backwards. <laughs> well, that's their tradition, right? Now, do you think God really cared that we did it different from each other? Do you think that was the most important thing, was the, the specific mode, the way we did it? It isn't, is it? Not at all. The most important part was that the person was baptized as a public declaration that they have decided to follow Jesus. And, and in baptism, there's great symbolism. They identified with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, going under the water, is, it's like dying with Christ and dying to our sins symbolically. And coming up out of the water, it's like being raised to new life in Jesus and being washed of our sins. There's all kinds of symbolism there. Well, we're called to make disciples. We're called to baptize. And we're called to teach, to, uh, teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Everything that Jesus commanded. Uh, that's pretty key right now, isn't it? Everything. Not just the things that are popular with secular society, but everything that Jesus taught. We do that in a variety of ways. We do that here. I'm doing that right now in the Sunday morning message. That's part of it. Bible for Life classes that we hold before church, that's part of it. The youth group, the source youth group, they're a part of it. The small groups, some of whom we'll meet today, that's part of it as well. And then we have all these partners. We have partners who come alongside us during the week. The Bible Release Program, where we have kids coming in on Monday, and we have kids coming in on Wednesday, and between those two groups, there are often gets up around 100 kids sometimes. And, and you know, we have all these kids learning about Jesus and learning about what it is to follow Jesus. And then on Friday night, we have a, a Spanish, the, the real group, they come and they do this all in Spanish. What a joy. This is awesome. God's doing all that right here. Right here. It's pretty cool. And we commission global workers. Man, I, I don't know if you remember, there are a lot of you who were here, uh, you know, a while back, several years ago, when, when Gabby decided that she was going to go to South Africa, and we had a big ceremony here. We had a commissioning service, and we laid our hands on her and prayed over her, and we supported her as she went to serve and to teach children in South Africa near Soweto. And what a joy. Doug and Barb Miller just came home. 26 years in Malawi, serving among the Yao. And what an amazing thing that is. And all the hardships that they endured, they stayed and went. They came home and they went right back. You know, they stayed all of those years in spite of some terrific difficulties. And why did they do that? They were witnessing under the Great Commission from Matthew 28, the command to go and to share. Well, second here this morning, I want to talk about the power to share. This is pretty important. In Acts 1.8, Jesus told his disciples just before he left them, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was leaving them, but he wasn't leaving them alone. And Jesus was commanding them to go and share, but he wasn't expecting them to do it by themselves or under their own power. They were to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come and empower them. And there they were, this group of disciples in an upper room and praying and seeking God and praising God and and worshiping God. And in that setting, the Holy Spirit comes with power and overcomes them and, and blesses them and fills them with the Holy Spirit. And when he came, Boy, did they witness. (laughs) The Holy Spirit gave them the ability to to do some things they couldn't normally do, including be able to speak to other people, because I'm sure there might have been a few introverts in the bunch. And and the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak to people who, who didn't even speak the same language as them. A miraculous thing for the purpose of connecting with the gospel. And they praised God in the street and they told the people who were gathered for the Pentecost festival about Jesus. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter got up, and here he is. You know, here's this kind of backwards fisherman who's really, really good at sticking both feet in his mouth at the same time. You know, he's kind of a rough and tumble kind of character. And he gets up and speaks with beautiful eloquence and he interprets the Old Testament scriptures in a way that the crowd connects with it, and they can begin to see Jesus clearly as part of God's full plan that began with creation. The Apostle Paul, transformed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, he began to take the good news out, and the other apostles began to take the good news out, and they went out beyond Jerusalem Notice it says here, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They began to take the gospel out to those places, all the way to the ends of the known earth. The Roman road, it went all the way, it was, you know, you can follow the Roman road all the way to the other end of Britain. It went all, it went out to Egypt. You could go all over the place in the known world, and that's what they did. Wherever they could go, whether it was on foot or by boat, they went. One great example, one that we don't know a lot about, but tradition tells us that, you know, good old, I'm from Missouri, Doubting Thomas, what did he do? Historically, he very likely took the gospel to India for the first time. In fact, we're pretty sure he did. Somewhere around the year A.D. 52, he went by ship. And he gave his whole life to serving the gospel there. In fact, He was later martyred for his faith and buried there. Do you think he did that under his own power? Think about doubting Thomas. Think about that experience that he had in his encounter with Jesus right after the resurrection. Think about that man being the man who went to India and stood alone to eventually stand up for his faith and be martyred. You know? Some of our own brothers and sisters in Christ and the Brethren in Christ Church have died in India for their faith, sharing the gospel. So why did they do it? Why? 
because they answered the call. They answered the call to share their faith, and they went in Jesus' name. And they went under the power of the Holy Spirit to go there. You know, even in death, they are witnesses for Christ. Jesus transformed us from sinners to saints. We're not talking about the Catholic version of the saints. Uh, we don't have our own icons down the hallway down here with, you know, the halo over our heads. And we are called saints. Saints, uh, the word saints is holy ones or the, the hagioi, the holy ones, the ones who are set apart for God. And we were transformed from the identity of sinners into the identity as saints. That was done by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that you received when you received Jesus. Now think about this. You have the power, that power to witness living in you right now. Right now. It's the exact same power that made a bunch of frightened disciples into great men of God and powerful witnesses for Christ all over the world. Same power, same person, the Holy Spirit. So here's a question that might offend some of you. Why do we not see more power in the church today? Why not? Same Bible, same scripture, same Holy Spirit. Why do we not see more power in the church today? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that we don't see more power today because we seldom do anything that requires power. We seldom do anything that requires power. We can do it all by ourselves, we think. We don't step out for Jesus as his witnesses. It's not that we should be presumptuous and just go out there and start you know, freestyling it, but that we should simply obey the God who spoke his will through Jesus in the Great Commission. That's the call. That's the call. Remember the late Keith Green used to have these big rallies and he would get up and he'd say, I believe that you're supposed to go unless God tells you to stay. <laughs> that was his message during the last part of his life before he was killed tragically in a plane crash. But, but he, he spent the last part of his life with that message. We are to go unless we're called specifically to stay. And you know, the same Jesus who promised that as we go, he will go with us right to the end, that same Jesus he doesn't leave us or forsake us. He goes with us wherever we go. To the very end of the age, he said. You know, um, King James said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. I, I remember when I was a brand new Christian hearing a great sermon called Lowing and Going. <laughs> it was all about going under the power of Christ, with Christ going with you, because that's what he promised us. So we're called to go and share, and we've been given the power to share, and now it's up to us to prepare to share. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you 
to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Why, why does he have to tag that on the end? <laughs> why do you think? Because <laughs> maybe we might not be so gentle and respectful when we do this. <laughs> Let's bring our statement about witnessing back here. We value an active and loving witness for Christ to all people. A loving witness. <laughs> That's part of that, isn't it? The loving part. We share. It was God's love that sent his son. And it's Christ's love that, that draws us in, that he loves us so much that he offers what he offers and does what he does for us and went to the cross on our behalf. It was because of his love. And so when we share Christ, we're, we're not just telling about something, we're sharing in the love of Jesus. That's the gentleness and respectful part of witnessing. You know, I've mentioned this before, but a lot of people, they seem to want to use the clobber method of sharing the gospel. You know what the clobber method is? That's you beat them about the ears with the scriptures, right? And try to beat them into submission. Loving. Remember that word. Our statement says that we value an active witness. Now, now we wrote that in as Brethren in Christ for a very particular reason. For the first hundred years of our existence, we practice what sometimes has been called presence evangelism. That is, we'd set up in a community and we would have a church and we'd have people who would, you know, be sort of by themselves but, but very present so people could see that, well, maybe those people look like Jesus. They certainly are different from the rest of us, you know. And, and for the first hundred years, we didn't really actively share our faith. And then they became very convicted that they needed to actively go and take the gospel out, not just to sit on it. There's a whole story we'll tell you at another point in this series, but we changed the way we thought about it, and we began to practice intentionally evangelism. And what we learned is if we actively get ready God will give us opportunity. Some of you are scouts. What's the scout motto? Be prepared. That's right. Be prepared. You know, you train and you learn how to do a whole, whole lot of kinds of things. And then when the challenging occasion arises, you know how to deal with it. I have my dad's scout uh, journal from World War II. And... Uh, you know, they used to, in those days, you know, if you, you wanted to be a scout and achieve certain badges or under, they would send you off for three days by yourself. You know, today we don't send you to the end of the parking lot by yourself. <laughs> and even then we sometimes got a leash on you, <laughs> you know. But, but it, reading my dad's journal about those times and about some of the things that he learned to do that later on became pretty invaluable in his life as he set out and came as an immigrant from England to Canada. And some of those things he learned in Scouts, it, it, he learned, he prepared here, and he used it there. And isn't that really what we're being asked to do? To be prepared to share, to get ready, you know? Always, Peter says, 
and we'll bring that back up, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Being prepared involves getting ready in advance, doesn't it? Before God brings you to a God moment, one of those you know, God connections that you have sometimes. And you know, it doesn't have to be hard or complicated. Tell your story. What, what do you have? I mean, why do you personally, why do you hope in Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? When and how did you come to faith? That's your story. That belongs to you. You know, there's some great books out there to help you do that, right? All kinds of books out there. One I, I more recently had, uh, had been reading, which is a, a very simple but helpful book. Uh, a lot of you have seen The Jesus Revolution. So you know a little bit about Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie wrote this great little book. It's just called Tell Somebody. And it's an easy read. And, and you can go through it sitting in an afternoon. And it will really help you think about how to share your faith when somebody asks. A lot of you use the YouVersion Bible app. How many use that app? Can I see it? I know the youth are starting to use it. We've, they've just started this week with trying to get it on every tablet and phone so that they can begin to do studies together. Well, the YouVersion Bible app has a six-day devotional study called Sharing Your Faith, and it's free. So if you want to hear more about how to do that, put that on your phone or whatever, we'd be very happy to help you do that. You don't have to over-prepare. Be prepared in case someone asks you about your faith. And better yet, pray that God will bring someone into your life to ask you why you believe. When I was in college, I worked in a big warehouse. That was my prayer all the time. Lord, let somebody ask questions today because I didn't feel that I could intrude on them and, and just start giving them information, doing an information dump. I prayed that they would ask questions and almost invariably by the end of my shift, somebody would ask me some question about faith and I, because they asked, then you get to respond. And there's a much greater openness and, and God does some pretty cool things there. The last night I was there working at the warehouse before my school year was over, I had the joy of leading one of my workmates to Jesus in the parking lot. And that all started through those ask conversations. So sharing your faith doesn't have to be really hard. But when they ask, it's easy to give an answer, right? So obey the Great Commission. Go and share. Rely on the Holy Spirit who's given you the power to share. And then take some time to prepare to share. And then I want you to do one more thing for me. Come and tell me about your week. <laughs> I want to hear the stories. I want to hear what God's doing through you. Exa oh, there's a good point. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that should have been the fourth point. <laughs> Perfect. Declare the share. You know, I want to hear what happens when you share Jesus, when God gives you that opportunity, because he will. He will take you to it. Heavenly Father, forgive us for those times when we missed opportunities that you brought to us. Give us discernment to recognize those who are spiritually seeking. 
prepared their hearts and put questions about you in their mouths. And help us to be prepared to share the reason that we hope in you, Jesus. We ask for divine appointments. And we rely on your power and on your words that we know you're going to put in our mouth to share. And we trust you for the results. We do that with full faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.